All right. Hey, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point. Good to see you guys here in the room and online. Thank you for joining in live now. Or, hey, later on, those listening to the podcast, thanks for doing that as well. I hope if you're driving, you don't crash your car or wreck your bike or running into a tree, whatever you do, I hope you're safe listening along. Well, um, last week, I want to thank uh, Pastor Kevin for uh, bringing a message, and I took a little bit of time off. Appreciate that, Kevin. Hope you're able to listen to that. And this morning, we're going to start a brand new series called Follow Me, Jesus' Invitation to Life. This is going to be a... Um, a series that will kind of give to us some stories that Jesus tells people over the course of uh, what I'm going to, what I call the gospels, not just I call the gospels, but stories that Jesus tells over the course of his lifetime. And I'm looking forward to getting into that with you. And this morning I want to start by telling this story about, you know, even myself. It was just a few years ago when I was the coach of a world-renowned under-10 soccer team, okay? We were, um, I think in the season, we were undefeated. It was an amazing season. We were, you know, competing for the world championship in U10 soccer. And what that meant is at the end of the year, there was an end-of-the-season tournament. And at that tournament, um, we ended up being placed in the highest division because we had one of the best records in the league, which was fine, but we never experienced competition at our level until we got to that tournament. And now all of a sudden, we were dealing with people who could play with us and sometimes play better than us, and we didn't know what to do. And we ended up going through that tournament. Have you ever been to a boys' soccer tournament or girls' soccer tournament at the youth level? They go on almost all day. They're almost always cold, very windy, often rainy. So it's a beautiful time to spend eight to ten hours outside um, freezing and enjoying that fun. Well, that's what we did. And with our team, we ended up losing all of our games, which was great at the end of the season. To cap off the season was such a push and then finish with such a thud. And the boys knew this because they'd been through the tournament before, that at the end of the tournament, there's a presentation time where awards are given or trophies are given, that, that all the people in your division gather around like the commissioner of the tournament and they stand there and they deliver to you the news of who finished in fourth and third and second and first and it builds from the bottom up and then the top people get a trophy or whatever. Well, our boys didn't want to stay. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> I mean, they knew where they placed and they didn't want to stay. And I said, listen, we need to stay. That's part of sportsmanship. We need to stay and, and do this. Well, as, as you know, would have it, our boys end up getting fourth place. And not only are they announced as the losers of the division, they're also then given a bracelet. Come on, everybody up, get a, get a bracelet to remember that you lost every game today all the way home. Well, our boys wanted nothing to do with that at all, but they went up dutifully, got their bracelets, came back, were fidgeting with them the whole time just out of anger, like, I have to, we'll have this dumb bracelet. And all the other kids got, a, you know, got an award and whatever, and, and we, we didn't. We just kind of got publicly mentioned that we, you know, we didn't win a single game. On the way home, it wasn't but a couple minutes in when I looked behind me, I had a couple kids on my team that we transported to the game. They ripped the bracelet off, didn't take it off, just ripped it apart in anger. And part of the reason was not just like I got publicly noticed for being a failure. It was also like, I don't even want something that I didn't deserve. We lost all of our games. I don't even want what amounts to a participation award. I don't want someone to honor me for something that I didn't do well. We didn't even win a game. I don't want your pity. That was essentially the message coming out of the minds and the hearts of these eight, nine, and 10-year-old boys. Their message around the anger around ripping this off is exactly the message that we have, that I have when it comes to how we value 
people and what they can do. This, this issue of participation awards, by the way, I'm not a big fan of participation awards, and most people aren't. We think that it de disincentivizes hard work, right? Like, it just makes it, like, why would you even try, if everyone is going to get an award, why even try in the first place? But participation awards bring up this reality in our society, and it is this, that we tend to value people according to their capacity. We tend to value people according to their capacity. The more that you work, this, is, this works economically. This is straight up, this is economics 101. The more you work and the higher your capacity for work, the more you will get paid. That's just the way it is. If you put in extra time overtime, you get paid overtime. If you have the capacity of a high-functioning CEO, you get paid like a high-functioning CEO. The higher your capacity, the more value you have economically. It's also true relationally. The higher your capacity to bring fun to a group, the more you are going to be valued to be a part of that group. If you are the rain cloud in your social circle, people aren't going to necessarily want to make sure that you are on the road trip. But if if you are the one who brings a lot of fun and joy and laughter to the group, people are going to want to have you in their group because your capacity for bringing value to the group is higher. It's true economically, it's true relationally, and I would also argue that it's true personally and it's true spiritually, that we default to this behavior spiritually. This is my story and I don't know if it's yours. For me, I have thought, and I have lived this throughout my youth and, and on up through my young adult years, that the more that I will do, the higher my spiritual capacity, the greater certainly God must value me. In fact, I remember, maybe you remember stories from your youth where your friends were doing something and you chose not to do it out of a moral or spiritual commitment. You chose not to go to the movies that your friends would have gone to, maybe because your parents would have whooped you, I don't know what it would be, but you knew that I can't do that and you chose not to do that. Maybe it's music, maybe it's dating, maybe it's sexual ethics, whatever it was that you made decisions not to to do because you felt spiritually, I shouldn't do this. That you're in a way saying, for me, what I was saying is I'm going to work. I'm going to make sure that my capacity to honor God is commensurate with my work, that I'm going to be careful to avoid certain things and embrace certain things. And then certainly when I do that, I will show to God that I'm a high capacity spiritual person. Therefore, I will be valued more by him because that's how it works with my boss, right? That's how it works with my friends, right? That I don't want, and God doesn't give participation awards, right? We tend to value people according to their capacity. But Jesus tells a story that completely changes this dynamic, and it is an annoying story to read. Every time I read it, it grates against the fabric of what I think the way the world should work. It is frustrating. And the reason this is important, the reason that this idea is important of how we value people is this, that if we value people the wrong way, and if we value ourselves the wrong way, we will treat people the wrong way, and we will treat ourselves the wrong way. So Jesus begins to tell this story, and this is the first story of nine we're going to get into in this series. And he tells a story in Matthew chapter 20. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn there to Matthew chapter 20. Um, I'm going to throw the verses up on the screen. You can check it out on your, uh, your phone or your iPad or whatever it is you have. Matthew chapter 20, if in the pew Bible in front of you, that's our gift to you if you don't own one. It's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And Matthew is recording a story that Jesus told 
to the disciples. And it's one that if you've heard it before and you know the ending, the ending is not where I would prefer to go. And it is in the tension of this story that we learn what we need to learn. So check it out. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says this, trying to describe the kingdom of heaven. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, let's just look at what's happening here. What's happening here is actually what's happening much like what happened in Dallas, Texas, when I spent some time in seminary there in graduate school there. One of my friends named Tory was a general contractor. He built big homes, and he would often go, he would need day laborers to work for him, essentially guys who could be gophers. And so he would drive to our local, like, big Target mall area, and there were always, there were always men who were gathered there who were looking for day work. And a good day's pay was 100 bucks cash under the table, whatever it is. Most of those guys who were there were not able to work in another capacity. Some because we were in Texas. Some uh, were not, um, didn't have their papers to work the way that they should have been working. And so a lot of contractors would just stop by and drive by a, a mall like that and pick up guys for a day's worth of work. There were always people who were looking for that kind of work. That is exactly what's happening in this story. In this world, the day laborers was a category of workers who actually had even less security than a slave. If you were a slave, you at least had consistent income, even though I'm not a, I'm not a proponent of slavery. I'm saying that these day laborers were even worse in, in terms of their security than that. If you don't work, you don't eat. There is no union for a day laborer. If the boss who picks you up and takes you to work that day decides not to pay you, you can do zero about that. And so this guy in Jesus' story kind of drives his truck up to the local Target. It's about 6 a.m. is what we understand, 6 in the morning. He's looking for guys to work a 12-hour shift in his vineyard. And so he says, guys, hey, how about you five hop in the back of the truck? We're heading to the vineyard. And that's what happens? You hop in here, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks for the day or a denarius for the day, and let's get the job done. So the hearers are understanding Jesus' story, they're getting this, they're seeing this, but it's going to be in the tension that the learning comes. And we begin to introduce the tension in verse 3. So it's about nine in the morning when he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. We told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. And notice the difference now in the story. It's about nine in the morning, and this I've never saw my friend Tori do, because Tori, as a general contractor, was smart enough to know, I'm going to need, whatever, two workers today or 18 workers today. He knew what he needed from the jump. This guy apparently goes back out at nine in the morning, and this is unusual. And so the people listening are like, this is weird. Maybe the guy is a moron and doesn't know how to run his vineyard because now he needs more people. I don't know. This is strange. So he goes down and he gets more people at nine o'clock, but he doesn't say to them what he's going to pay him. He just says, I'm going to pay you whatever is right. You know what? At the end of the day, we'll figure it out. Okay. If you're a day laborer, you got to eat. That's a better deal than no work at all. So you hop in the back of the truck, you go to the vineyard at the end of the day. Hopefully the guy gives me something. If he gives me nothing, then I guess I'll just have to deal with it. So as the verse continues, he went out again around noon and then again about three and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? 
Now, of all the people who drive by looking for workers, these are the last people who never get taken. These are your, like, undrafted free agents. These are guys who don't even get picked by others, who are standing around doing nothing. He says, what are, you've not been doing a single thing all day long. Well, it's simple, they said, because no one has hired us, they answered. Well, he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Okay, so he goes out several times, gets all these guys to go to work in the vineyard, and then it comes time to pay. And here's how it goes. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. That is not how it's done. And so again, the hearers would be like, oh, this is new. Normally, you just pay the first and go on to the last. You're paying the last and going on to the first. So verse 9, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. If you're the guy who's been there since 6 a.m. and my friend Tori stops by and says, hop in, I'll give you 100 bucks at the end of the day. And the guy who shows up at 5 p.m. and works for one hour. And the truth is, by the time you drove from Target to the vineyard, you probably don't even work in a full hour. I mean, he may have worked 30 minutes. He gets 100 bucks. You're thinking, let me do the math. One hour, 100 bucks. I got 12 hours, 1,200 bucks, right? I mean, because we value people according to their capacity. This was a one-hour worker, but I'm a 12-hour worker. That's just the way economics works. It's the way business works, right? So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more. So would I. But each of them received a denarius, or a hundred bucks. Now, pretend you don't know the end of the story for a minute. <clears throat> How do you feel? Wait a minute. Joe here just showed up. He got a hundred bucks, and I get a hundred bucks. I've been here for 12 hours. This doesn't make any sense. And so when they received it, verse 11, when they received it, they would react the same way you would and the same way I would. They began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, in case you didn't know that, they said. They, they worked only one hour. And then here's their claim. Here's why they're angry. And this is so important to see. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and heat of the day. You, in your valuation, have made them equal to us. But let me be clear, we are not equal. I am of greater value than they are because I have worked more than they have. Because more work equals more value. The winner gets the trophy. The losers don't. You are giving everybody the same thing. It's almost like you're giving out participation awards for being someone who works in your vineyard. This does not make a lick of economic sense. You will ruin a business running it this way for a number of reasons. But it is how we see people by default. I will value people and so will you according to their capacity, economically, relationally, and often spiritually. The landowner is saying in this tension, he's saying, guys, we are valuing people the wrong way in the kingdom. There's a different way, Jesus is telling a story, there's a different way in the kingdom of God to value people and even to value yourself. In my story, 
You know what my heat of the day is? I've been working all day since I was a child. I chose not to sleep around, but others did. I chose not to watch movies with that rating, but others did. I chose to watch my language, but others didn't. I chose to go to church and youth retreats, but others didn't. I chose to lead all-night prayer meetings in college, but others didn't do that. I have been laboring in the vineyard in the heat of the day all day long, and my work must increase my value. And then somewhere in the last minute of the day, in slides someone who has been a critic of mine my whole life, in slides someone who's been messing around, been lazy, been doing nothing all day long. They've been immoral. They've not been working. They've been on government assistance. They've been lacking moral, um, you know, North Point here. They've been out of their mind, and in they slide, and you are making them equal to me. Come on. That isn't how it works. And what I have found is that it's easier for me to apply the scarlet letter than to apply the scarlet that flows from the cross, right? It's easier to apply the scarlet letter to someone who I might brand as someone who they're not, they're not worth as much as me because they haven't worked in the vineyard as much as I have. They're just, not, they're just not worth as much. Look, at they're standing in the marketplace doing nothing. There's a reason why nobody picked them up. There's a reason why all the, the foremen drove right by them. They don't have a, a lick of work ethic. Look, look, how, look how lazy they are. They're not even working out. They're not even making an attempt. They don't even, whatever, like, th there's a reason no one picks them up. Come on. And Jesus steps into this space, and it is frustrating for people who have worked all day in the vineyard and who just assume that the kingdom ethic is the same as an economic ethic, is the same as a relational ethic, and it's very different. And Jesus goes on. He says, from the landowner's perspective, the landowner, verse 13, he answered one of them and said, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Then he asks this question. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And then to drive it home, he asks this rhetorical question. Or are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? That cuts to the issue, doesn't it? Are you envious because I'm generous? Oh, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Actually, I am. The day laborer, the worker who works 12 hours a day and expects to get paid at or more than those who work one hour. And I find that person in me, by the way. That's the legalist speaking. That's the moralist in me speaking. The legalist doesn't understand generosity. They understand giving, but the legalist doesn't get along with generosity because everything is worth something in the legalist mind, in the moralist mind. Yes, I get what I deserve. I put in the time, I put in the work, I keep the disciplines, I raise the family, I don't do, I do do, I do 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 do. And I get what I get because value and capacity go together. The higher my capacity, and I'm consistent, I'm faithful, the higher my value. That's just the way it works, right? 
It's exactly the way it works in business. It's exactly the way it works in relationships many times, but it's very different in the kingdom of God. And Jesus puts it this way as he finishes. He said, so, so, just to be clear, the last will be first, and the first will be last. The people who are first in, who expect to get more because they've been laboring in the sun all day, are going to be last. And those who are last who come in and who are grateful for the generosity of the landowner will be first. And that, for the legalist, for the moralist, that is so frustrating because it's not fair. The generosity is never fair, is it? And so here's the thing. This has nothing to do with economics. Jesus is not talking about a work ethic, by the way. Don't run your business this way. Jesus, Jesus isn't even recommending this is a business model. This is not about that. This is about how we see and how we value both ourselves and people in the kingdom of God and how God sees and values people, how Jesus does. So here's, here's the reality, that our value doesn't come from our capacity, but from his generosity. This is the kingdom ethic. Our value doesn't come from our capacity, but from his generosity. That the reason that you have value and the reason I have value is not because of your ability nor my ability to maintain or work hard under the sun all of my life and all of your life. That the generosity of the Father is ridiculous and offensive <laughs> as it is distributed to you and to me. And I don't think, by the way, that you want it any other way. I don't think that I want it any other way. If I had it any other way, here's what happens. Then I end up working for the favor of my heavenly father. I end up working for the favor of a heavenly father. I end up as a legalist. I end up as a moralist. I end up as someone who must obey, who has to obey, and the joy is gone. And I cannot celebrate with the person who has come in in the last hour because they don't deserve it. I just can't do it. If you ever run across people as they get older, even when they're younger, but people who will uh, be more critical, people who have a hard time um, accepting, people who might think differently or believe differently or get things that they don't deserve, the narrative is often around this problem. That the value that they see is that Value is related to capacity in people who serve in their lives as antagonists are the ones who are criticized. In other words, if I'm going to live as a legalist or a moralist and think that value is related to capacity, I need some people in my life to constantly live at a lower moral level than I do so that I can understand that I have more value than they do. I always need people that I can talk down to or talk bad about or look at and compare to because my value is based on them, not on me. And the moralist or legalist will need the antagonist in their life so that they can be the protagonist or the heroes of their own story. And these people create their own redemption narrative where they become the hero and the savior of their own life, but it's only a savior in their little mind related to people who aren't as good as them. The people who only work one hour a day, the people who sit around doing nothing for 11 hours and last minute come in and say, oh, now I'll follow Jesus or now I'll turn my life over. But for years and years and years, when invited to, didn't do anything, were lazy, just didn't even get any work done, were completely immoral. Those people, those are the people. I'm glad they're here because they make me look better as the hero of my own story. And the kingdom narrative, Jesus says, the last, 
they're going to be first. Because the moralist, the legalist, the one who works 12 hours has a hard time celebrating the generosity of the Father because it doesn't make any sense. But this is where Jesus introduces the kingdom ethic and says, if you're going to value people, if you're going to treat people well, understand this, that the people who sit around you, who think differently than you do, who are on a different political spectrum than you are, who are in a different spectrum in how they think about the challenging times we're in right now, the people who have a very different work ethic than you, the people who maybe have never gone to church, who have gone to church and have left, the people who you look at and you might think, they're just not doing the things that I would love to see them do. Maybe they're the antagonist to your protagonist story. Those people, Jesus says, hey, if I bring them to work in my vineyard, they're going to get a full day's wage, just like you are. And that, that is a sobering, sobering reality to engage. And so I have this question for me and maybe this question for you too. And that is this. As I think about how this works, I want to ask this question for me and maybe for you this week too. Who can I value generously this week for you? Who can you value generously this week? As you look around the people who you work with, the people who are around you, you think about those in your family, those in your school, those that you work with, who don't deserve extra time, who don't deserve an extra gift, who maybe don't deserve words of affirmation, who maybe don't deserve your attention because they've frankly been offensive. They've been against you. They're not even in the vineyard. They're in the marketplace maybe doing nothing. There are people that you would say, boy, I would be okay if my kids don't hang out with them. I would be okay if I forgot that they even existed. These are the people in the marketplace whom the landowner goes out and invites in, come work in my vineyard, come, come in my vineyard. Hey, you, come in my vineyard. No one's picked you, come in my vineyard. And maybe the answer to this question, who can I value generously this week, is as simple as this. Maybe the answer is, myself, you, you. I don't know how you see yourself because I will tell you from my own experience, it is so easy to be envious of the generosity of the Father when you have labored all day in the sun. Some of you have given all of your life to the church. Some of you have given all of your life that you have to this point, whether it's five years or 95 years to following Christ, to working hard. And I do not begrudge it. I think it is a beautiful thing to have people follow Christ all of their life. But I just want to remind all of those who've been working in the vineyard for all of your life to this point. I want to say your work isn't devalued. It's not devalued by the landowner. But an equal measure of grace is given to those who are even at this point in the marketplace doing nothing. An equal measure of grace and the generosity is the question I have to ask when Jesus, as the landowner speaks in this case, he says, are you envious of my generosity? If I'm honest, the answer is yes. Sometimes yes, frankly, I am. Because I can slide into being a moralist. That I deserve the favor that I get because frankly, I've been working for 12 hours in the vineyard. I've been working hard in the vineyard. 
And so when the father calls all of his people who've been working together in the vineyard together at the end of the day, like the commissioner of the U10 soccer tournament did, and is ready to hand out trophies and awards. Is it a participation award that he's giving out? Maybe. But it's very different. It's very different than how I would work it. I would want to honor those who put in 12 hours worth of work and those who put in nine and those who put in six and three and one, maybe a little bit differently because they deserve it, right? But the generosity of the Father is so radical that he gives everybody the same grace. And I want to encourage you, don't rip off that bracelet of grace that God has given you. Who are you going to value generously this week? And the answer might be myself, the person you see in the mirror. God has graciously honored you by helping you see and understand that the love of the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ is available to you. And so may we never be people who slide right over into this 12-hour-a-day work ethic to say we're going to value the people around us according to their capacity. And the people who don't work as well, the people who are a little shorter than us in terms of their commitment, the people who might follow the way we do, May the generosity of the Father guide your heart and guide mine that I can live generously with the people around me this week and celebrate, celebrate even those who are in a completely different place than I am. So who can you and who can I live generously with this week? All right, next week, we're going to see another story of Jesus. He's going to talk about humility in the kingdom of God and turn over another social norm that we have. I look forward to that next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be here together this morning, and we pray that you would continue to challenge us with the tension of this story where it seems completely unfair that people who work more and serve more should be paid the same as those who've come in in the last minute. And so in light of that, I pray that you would help us to live generously to celebrate the generosity of the Father, which doesn't make sense, it isn't fair, it isn't equitable, but we know that we don't want it any other way. We know that we need the generosity of our loving Heavenly Father, just like anybody else does. And so I pray that you would help us in this season that is rife with tension, that is rife with polarization, that is rife with condemning and canceling culture. That people who say they follow Jesus would stand out as generous with their time, with their resources, with their relationships. That we wouldn't value people just because of what they can do, but because of how we see them through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we be workers field who both put in a hard day's work and also celebrate with even those who work only one hour. I pray that you'd help us to live generously this week in a world that needs it desperately. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.